The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Intuitive Connections, where spirituality and psychology meet to help you be your best and brightest self. I'm your host, Victoria Shaw, and in each episode, I'll help you to awaken your own inner wisdom, step into your power, and live a more divinely inspired life. You're here to let your inner light shine. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Intuitive Connection. Today we have a guest that I'm really, really, really excited about. His name is Chris Sirach. Chris is a graduate of the Eckhart Tolle School of Awakening He's certified by the World Yoga Alliance, and he's a meditation teacher, book author, and retreat host. So, Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you, and I'm really excited. I've I've checked out your Instagram, and I know you have quite a big following over there and putting some beautiful, beautiful stuff into the world, which I love. But today, what I love to focus on, because we haven't covered it on the show at all before, is your work with meditation. Because yours truly is not a regular meditator at all. And I know a lot of people teach, you know, the way to awakening and the way to uh, your intuition is stilling your mind. And I do teach that, but I don't don't tend to still mind through meditation, but it's such an important tool. So I'd love to hear about your story, your experience, and particularly the meditation piece. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the the big shift for me has, and you kind of mentioned it without, you know, intending to, the traditional concept of meditation is as it's something that you do on the path to enlightenment and for me really the the shift is has been to recognize that it's a journey of an enlightenment and that we're always essentially learning growing and meditation can help us with that learning and growing I like that. I like that so much because, yeah, when you say the path to enlightenment, it's almost as if there's a spot and we're chasing it and we have to get there rather than it's the whole freaking process of life is is the path to enlightenment and you're going to be on it continuously, you know, until you decide to stop, which has nothing to do with reaching a particular landmark. Exactly. That goal orientedness that we actually get lost in. And uh, especially when we're in our heads, because the mind likes to fill uh, the unknown with the known, even if it's just a projection or an expectation. And, and yeah. so we create these goals and then we chase them and we're not really here during that chase. Yeah. And then even if we do achieve the chase, it's temporary and fleeting. And then we're left with this uh, empty feeling again. Yeah. Over the last couple of years, I've developed a really nice relationship with those goals and with those desires. And, and I'd love to hear what you think about this. But for me, it's it's nice to have a focus. It's nice to have some things you're excited about. It's nice to have some things you're working towards. It, it makes life really fun. But what I've come to recognize is, first of all, sometimes you're looking in one direction and something really cool is in the other direction and you you change course and you you go for that. So you don't have to be like stuck on 
everything has to manifest exactly this way for me to be happy. Like I am so open to whatever wants to come, even if it's different than my idea. Yes. The other piece is I think sometimes we do receive and we do manifest and we do, you know, have these great goals come into realization. And I think the trick there is you don't cling on to them. You enjoy them and you understand that, you know, we're in a constant state of becoming and expanding. And so you enjoy what comes along the ride, but you don't necessarily, you know, have to get out, you know, of your car and plan to live the rest of your life in that thing that you created, because it's not going to bring you lasting happiness. No creation ever does. Yeah, exactly. And there's a distinction between those two experiences of, you know, creating something and then pursuing it uh, versus it revealing itself and then uh, you feeling called to it. So very different. And we need a starting point always. You can't just sit around. We realize ourselves in the doing. We can only respond to what's happening right now in front of us. So we have to start somewhere and then be connected to that inner voice, feel what resonates and what doesn't, and let that kind of guide us. And then that reveals itself in, in, in kind of like a, the path or a bigger picture that, that comes to us. So yeah, I prefer that way. I spent you know a lot of first half of my life going the, the brick on brick approach. And it was, you can achieve things, but it's, it's a hard, hard path to travel. Yeah. No, I like two things you said. I think, again, the brick on brick approach, and I love how you say that, for sure, we can achieve things. It's my belief that everything that you manifest and bring into your life is soul guided anyway. And everything really great is coming from your intuition, from your inner being, from that connection. So you think the mind will take credit for it, but the mind hasn't done any of that work. The mind, if anything, has just slowed you down. Yes. That's been my understanding of how at least my life has worked. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything is possible. If if we just kind of take ourselves out of the picture for a moment, everything exists, everything is possible. And then we come along with our little minds and we start to believe in this thing here and that thing here. And we create a collection of a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand beliefs. And then that becomes our reality. And that's what we think all that exists. And the chances that our blueprint path is, you know, within those few beliefs that we've created and manufactured for ourselves is it's very slim. We really need to be open to receiving everything that is possible. And then within there that uh, we discover ourselves. Yeah, no, I love that. And talk about what you mean by our blueprint path. Yeah, so... Uh, it's really like what resonates when we encounter a situation. It's something deep inside. It's a it's an inner truth. It's not a truth that relies on comparison, kind of that mental truth, right? That requires constant validation. Um, it's always looking what others are doing. No, that internal truth really it wants everyone to have their inner truth because it doesn't clash with anyone else's truth. So when you live from that place of of deep knowing. You really, you know, you're not in a state of comparing your truth to others. You're you're really listening with an open mind, never just validating your own truth structure, as I call it, but rather you're just holding space for everything as it is uh, without ever feeling the need to uh, inject yourself in it. So it creates this wonderful flow and, and energy of allowance and surrender, even if you want to call it that, and and just letting life unfold and then really siphoning the things that resonate and that's that inner blueprint uh, that responds it's something deep inside you can call it your heart space your inner divinity your higher self your gut your intuition your whatever you want to call it It, it's a voice it's all of those things yeah exactly (laughs) all of it that's it it wrapped into a beautiful little bow yeah no i love that i love that i love how you said that i'm just taking a minute to drink that in Mm -hmm. because that was just so beautifully put 
And I think it's probably what I would call that intuitively guided life, right? Where you're agreeing to listen to that, you know, as Eckhart Tolle might say, the deeper eye, that deeper part of ourselves, the all-knowing, the soul, and start to follow and align with that. And then I loved what you said too about you start to feel what resonates with you. Let life unfold, but you start to feel into, oh, I like this. Oh, you know, I'd like to move more in this direction. It's such a nicer way to go than trying to figure out ahead of time what you want. And then, you know, like the three little pigs, like build that house that is probably going down. Yeah, yeah. I always say like, we don't have to figure out our life ahead of living it. Right. Because that's essentially what we're trying to do. And that's what makes us crazy. Because then we're in comparison to what's happening to what we think should be happening. And then there's just friction. And plus the mind is like, it's a, it's a little bit of a trap. And I've gone back to counseling. I've been doing this really fun work now um, where I'm doing some low cost counseling with uh, college students and I'm loving it. But so I'm dealing with a lot of people that are having anxiety again, because that's usually why people come to counseling. And, you know, the biggest lie that our mind tells us is if we worry about it, we will prevent the bad thing from happening. And so we just have to worry about as many things as we can, and then we'll be prepared and nothing will go wrong. And aside from the fact that that makes you so god-awful miserable, because you spend all of your time thinking about what could go wrong, which is just not a very pleasant state of being, it's also a bold-faced lie because you can't possibly anticipate everything that could go wrong. So why are you even trying? (laughs) Right. Yeah, it, it is a mystery why uh, why we try to just control everything and yeah. and are in resistance to what has already happened. Right, it's already happened. So to then be in resistance to that and want it to be different is kind of a little uh, crazy. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, you said two things. There's the predictive nature of the mind that says, you know, I want it to be this way. I don't want it to be that way. So let me keep thinking about how I don't want it to be because that will definitely prevent it from happening. And and we know with the law of attraction, it may possibly even go the other way. Yes. But either way, it's just not fun. I'm a big fan of why don't you focus on what feels good now? Which brings me back to the other point that you just made that, you know, whatever is happening now is what's happening now. So the more that we can be in alignment with it, the more we're going to enjoy it. And the more when we can't be, because there are some situations, and again, been a counselor for many years, and there are some situations that people find themselves in. And, you know, yours truly sometimes finds myself in situations that are not even that bad where you are in resistance to them. And I want to hear what you're going to say, but I can't help but saying what I'm going to say first. For me, what really helps in those moments is just to, you know, be at peace with my resistance. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. So my Instagram this morning post uh, happened to be uh, the best predictor of how you feel in the next moment is how you feel right now. So creating that continuity and building a momentum of, of feeling good and positive um, and really flowing with the greater current, that leads to an ease, a certain perspective coming out of the microcosm of our worries, which is just really getting lost in our thoughts. And, you know, we spend a lot of time every day lost in thought and there's just nothing good that happens in there. Here. <laughs> so it's really the being lost in thought that takes us out of the opportunity to respond to what's happening in front of us right now. And we get lost in thought so easily. A monkey mind, you know, jumps from one thought to the next. It's never just one thought. It's just this endless thing. And and then often we snap out of it when even our own mind thinks it's so absurd that we kind of come out of it. This is just a ridiculous rabbit hole I just went down. So it's really returning. And this is where we, you know, today's topic of meditation is being able to catch yourself sooner when the mind drifts, uh, being able to 
really tame that monkey mind so that you can stay focused on the task at hand because we could be doing something beautiful and rewarding and or just be in stillness but that mind will come in and hijack your attention and pull it away and it's only because we haven't practiced and, and developed an awareness muscle so we, we kind of have thoughts and we identify with those thoughts and let them pull us away and so that's what meditation really is 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 to return to our natural state of being present longer and more often and that's how it used to be ultimately when we were more in nature and uh, gatherers and harvesters and it's just now in the in the office building life and sitting in traffic the, the mind likes to wander right and i think you know we've been taught more and more to favor the mind i think the mind is more and more the predominant force in our planet. So I, I think it kind of makes sense. And I even know, you know, Eckhart Tolle has said, and I really resonate with this, not that there's anything wrong with anything in this world, but you know, when you are in a lot of mind made spaces, so the office building, New York city, where I lived for 15 years and I love it. If you are New Yorkers, you know, God bless. I had a blast yeah. there, but you know, I personally, when I lived in New York would find if I did not get to central park almost daily, I would it was no good. I think when we're around those mind-made structures, it tends to bring that out. When we get back into nature, when we get near water, you know, we get back into the flow. That's my experience. And that's my meditation is yes. being basically walking endless hours in nature. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we can't bring that presence into those office environments or those mental environments, but we have to spend enough time practicing, nurturing, and, and establishing a daily routine so that we have, uh, you know, that essence, that grounding is our foundation. And then we can go into those environments and be better presenters, workers, leaders, uh, family members, partners, you name it, better humans. Yeah. You said a couple of things and I actually want to get into the specifics of meditation because we've never talked about that on the show. And I think it's something that probably a lot of people are hungry for. But you said a couple of things that I want to try to summarize. Tell me if, if I got it right. I think one of the purposes of you know, meditation or any kind of presence practices to start to recognize and disidentify with the mind. And so you start to realize that I am the awareness of the thinking. I am not the thought itself. And then I think I heard you say sort of the other piece is, you know, as you disidentify to quiet it and calm it and maybe take, I don't know, is the word control? Is that a word that you would use? Because I personally, that one is real hard for me. Like I can't think about controlling my mind. I, I kind of think about having a new orientation with it or stepping back from it or not engaging with it. Control tends to get my mind more mindy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a charge word um maybe take control away from the mind like that it's a, a little better but yeah the mind is, it's been used to dominating our our life experience our entire environment is designed to elicit reactions from us and i agree with disagree with i'm, I'm for i'm against uh, this is constant reactivity mental reactivity that's that we're we're being prompted to engage with so you know we just don't spend a lot of time countering that by being in stillness by observing our breath it's, it's something that you know doesn't take a lot of effort we could have spent decades in this kind of reactive mental driven state but then you know as soon as you start a meditation practice within a few minutes i could you know do an exercise with my students where they become aware of that that noise that noisy mind very quickly and it's often very shocking to wake up to realize that oh my gosh I can't keep my mind focused on my breath for more than a few seconds. And I've been using this mind to navigate through life and make big decisions. So there's there's a big awakening that can happen just from that. Right. Or the mind has been using you. 
Yes, you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's sort of the choice, you know, when we're using it the way I've always understood it. And I'm interested to hear what you think is that my mind is a tool of my soul, of my consciousness. And the more I lead with my intuition, my mind just becomes a tool that I use once I have the information and the alignment. But most of us, I think, unfortunately, have it backwards. And so our mind is using us most of the time and not the other way around. Yeah, that's actually one of the quotes in my book is uh, the mind doesn't know you. It's just a tool we use. So uh, again, the mind likes to know things. It's designed to know things and there's nothing wrong with that. But when we use that tool to navigate and find our inner truth, it kind of stutters because it can only compare yourself to others. And there's just there's friction in that. There's separateness that is created from that. Even just the mere act of labeling things is a form of judgment to say over there, that's a tree is to say, well, the tree's over there and I'm over here. That's a, it's a little hit of separateness. And we go through every day judging, labeling, and defining things. And so we start to feel isolated and, and separate from each other and, and nature. Yeah. It's beautiful. I always say, as a psychologist by training and someone who studied how the mind develops as my first career, it's a nice illusion to have and you want to be loosely tied to it so that you can function in this beautiful shared reality. And our mind, our ego, whatever you want to call it, it gives you your individuated sense of self, which is kind of what you're here to have. Then the trick is to remember that it's just an illusion. It's just a tool. You know, it's not who and what you really are, but you know, it's something you get to play with while you're here having this human experience. Yeah. What you said there was really beautiful. It's we're here to experience that. So from spirit form, suddenly we're in in these bodies and we have these senses and it's just like, whoa, this is incredible. And so I always say we should uh, become infatuated with our environment, with the things, with the stuff, with the experiences and and take it all in. And and through that experience, you know, we we soon realize, well, the, the permanent type of happiness that we seek is not to be found in those things. And so slowly the things on the outside, seeking ourselves in the things on the outside, starts to point us to the one place we haven't looked yet. Ultimately, we, we start looking within and, and doing the work and it all balances itself out. Yeah. And in my experience, the more I play on the inside and joy on the inside and find the joy there, the more the outside world cooperates, you know, <laughs> it's like the outside world is like, oh yeah, this is how you're feeling. Yeah. I'm with you on that. So oftentimes though, you can't do it for this reason. I find the more I do the inside journey and the inside play and the inside fun and the inside discovery, the more the outside world, first of all, it'll show me where I'm still stretching and growing internally, but also my outside world tends to cooperate and become really lovely too. Yeah, yeah. And that's really important. So the outside world, which is really the the design of life is what I call it, is both a reflection, a mirror of how we see things because we we experience things through the filter of our current internal makeup. But more importantly, what you mentioned about really the triggers, the things that uh, irritate us are pointing to something inside of us that uh, needs attention, needs some love and care. And and so life really wants us to heal and grow and become full and discover ourselves and become complete and then realize, well, we were complete the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love this conversation. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? 
Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. I want to talk because I, I promised I would when we started and I can't seem to let it go. I want to talk nuts and bolts of meditation. And I know there's not one way to meditate. And again, you're looking at someone who really doesn't on a regular basis meditate. But I just love to know what are some recommendations you have? What do you teach? <laughs> yeah. So first of all, like you said, there is no one way that works for everyone. Um, I've been teaching for 10 years in higher education. You, you can't, everyone learns differently is a different station right. in life. And, and that station will change. And so even what works for you now um, may not last forever. And that's all fine and, and good and part of the journey. Uh, I think it's important to find something that does work and then stick with it. Because most techniques take a little bit time till you really, uh, you know, sink into it and have it sink into your body and then see it reflected in your emotions and how you interact with the world around it. So be a seeker. There's so many things to explore. You know, the intellectual knowing and understanding of different techniques is important, but then having a practice to really integrate it is even more important. That's the crucial step. So I teach, you know, I do different levels of meditation. Um, a simple breath work that, you know, you can look up online or find guided meditations on all the way to a more disciplined Vipassana-like meditation, which is my choice. And so it really is about gradually sinking your teeth into something and letting that lead the way. Okay. So I, I'm never one to dictate this or that path is the right one, but uh, start the journey, embrace the journey, really stay connected to your body. That's where your truth lies. It always tells you this resonates at this time and or something else doesn't. And and let that guide you and your, your internal unfolding, this incredible world that lives within that's so much bigger and greater than the outside world you know, really become like infatuated with that and embrace it. And it's so magical and, and not magical and everything will be rosy and good because part of the meditation practice is to release all the stuck feelings that have built up over the years and the decades of, you know, reacting to our feelings instead of just purely experiencing them. The Holy Grail is to allow oneself to really feel your feelings fully and not judge them and, and interrupt them. And because that's where we get into reactivity. And that's where we stay stuck. You know, I recommend retreats, doing a retreat or two a year. I lead eight day retreats where we go deep and uh, others where we don't go that deep. And right. so it's really find what you're looking for and, and give it a shot. You know, it takes a little bit of courage, I think, in the beginning to embrace change, because ultimately, then that becomes the realization that everything has changed and we're always evolving. Right. And I would imagine meditation is a little bit like exercise, right? Where when you're starting a new exercise program, right? At first it feels a little bit hard. It's hard to get into the routine. You know, you might go all at it one day and the next day you're sore and you're tired and, you know, not every exercise works for every person and you have to find the ones that work for you. And, but there is a certain sense too, that where you start to feel into that groove and you start to do something regularly and it starts to become a habit. My guess is that, you know, on those days when you can't get outside, because like right now it's raining um, and you can't move your body, you start to feel itchy, you start to miss it. And that's when you know it's become a part of your life. 
Yes, indeed. And you know, in the, in the beginning, if it's just a few minutes, let it be just a few minutes. And if you know, there's little opportunities throughout the day, waiting for an elevator or waiting for your toast to finish. Uh, it's it's a few seconds here and there. What I do in the morning, actually, to as a first impression of how uh, wild is my mind today is when I go to the refrigerator dispenser and get a glass of water is to keep attention on the water. And then those seven or eight seconds, it tells me everything I need to know about, okay, this is uh, how tame or untamed my mind is today. And, you know, the important thing is not to long for a blissful state that you may have achieved at one point. It's actually a trap and, and it happens to all early beginning meditators where you like you you feel like you want that blissful state that you may have experienced and you can't get back to it now you're craving and longing for that outcome and that actually keeps us blocked so the ultimate goal of meditation would be to just notice that today my mind is calm today my mind is not calm and so you rise above all of that noise of judging your feelings right or i would even say right now my mind is calm Right. Because today my mind is calm. You know, we don't know that, dude, <laughs> from the first five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you can stay in tune and in touch with that continuously, of course, that's fantastic. Yeah. Because it's really what's going on in the now. Right. Yeah. But I love what you said, because the question that I get a lot, occasionally I do recommend meditation to clients. And occasionally in my life, I have practiced meditation. I am not a complete, you know, it is it is there. It's just not a regular practice for me. Um, I still my mind in other ways, which is probably also a meditation of sorts. But anyhow, occasionally I will recommend meditation to clients. And, and the thing that I usually get back is, oh, I can't do that. You know, I can't do that. I'm not good at it. You know, my mind doesn't quiet down. And, you know, I always think that's just so sweet and cute because I'm like, oh, you're great at it. <laughs> you're great at it. Like, it's not like, oh, you know, I'm not good at yoga because I can't do a headstand. Yoga is a practice. Meditation is a practice and it's about the practice, right? It's not about how still your mind goes. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a muscle that you, you know, when you first start at the gym, you start with small weights, just do a little bit, build up that resilience and that kind of that feel for it and then let it grow from there and into what it wants to. And there may be times when it just doesn't feel right and you don't have to force yourself ever. So you can do what feels right and that's your best guidance. I love that. And my next question is, what is the experience like for you when you are in the meditative state? Mm. Well, the idea is to be in that meditative state always. Okay. And, <laughs> and ultimately, that is uh, just being connected to your sensations. Our bodies are biochemical, electrical, you know, machines, if you will. And we're engaging with the environment at all times. And uh, really what meditation teaches you is, is to become aware of your feelings that are happening all the time, not just the big ones. Those are more obvious to all of us, but uh, the, the little interactions, the clothes on your skin, the air brushing, you know, hot, cold, pulsating, prickling, tickling, whatever's happening anywhere in the body, just to be aware of that and feel yourself, feel your aliveness. And then when we take that connectedness with our body into everyday situations, interacting with others or you know traffic whatever it may be that connection to our body keeps us calm and equanimous because we're staying connected to the actual feeling and not the reaction to the feeling well, the reaction is the big part that we then stew in for you know the rest right. of the day because somebody cut us off and uh, that's extra stuff that we added to it the actual situation is very simple 
Yeah. And it's connecting you with presence, which is what you are. You are the presence. You are the awareness. And so any practice that gets you back to that gets you naturally out of reactivity, which is what you are not. And it gives you that space sometimes too between I have this feeling and I have this reaction that I want to do when you are the presence, right? You're in the space where all your true power lies. Yes, indeed. And in that space, there's not enough room for anxiety or fear. And the only time you experience fear is when it's actually, you know, you're staring the tiger in the eye and that's real fear. But everything else is kind of projected, made up by the mind that has too much space to roam in the uh, lost in thought place. And I think that the real fear, and I've watched this in animals and I've seen this myself and I've been shown this by my guides, the real fear isn't what we think of as fear at all. It's simply just a reaction. It's just an instinctual, you know, and the thought will come in and the body has a response, but you don't often see animals that are traumatized by, you know, a near-death experience, right? They're animals. They have the fear. They make the response. They move on. It's just a natural part of being part of this circle of life. Mm. But the mind complicates that for us lucky humans where, you know, we tell ourselves a story that tiger almost yes. ate me. And, yeah. you know, now I have to be afraid of tigers for the rest of my life. And I have to build houses and do things to prevent future tiger attacks. And, you know, ooh, I just stress myself out even talking about it. And I'm pretty sure I'm safe from tigers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's beautiful. And again, that's the resistance to. Uh, life unfolding, letting it unfold, become a facilitator in that as opposed to wanting it to be different and wanting to control it and steer it. That's where we start to suffer. Yeah, I love that. All right. I want to know what else do you do and share with people and all of your wonderfulness? Well, I'm a responding generator. So I really need someone to share their life situation for me to be able to reflect on that and, and, and mirror that. So I think it helps me in, in this line of, you know, giving back and being of service and, and that, you know, it's easy for me not to inject myself into wanting somebody to be a certain way. And I love that. Yeah, I, I listen and I uh, it comes to me, you know, most of the time, what kind of space I need to hold for the person to see their own self and their inner workings. And I really don't have to say much. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, that didn't happen overnight either. I, I was very headstrong and earlier in my life and, and just found that I was exhausting myself overthinking things. And But I have, you know, I have a varied career, 27 years in corporate and as a consultant and as an entrepreneur and uh, lots of experience to fall back on to, to be able to connect with with different audiences and uh, uh, traveled a lot, speak multiple languages. And so um, it's all come together. And, and that too, is, I think, is the lessons that nothing's ever for nothing. We we grow, we evolve. We don't need to ever leave our old self behind. You know, it's it all comes together and it makes us who we are. Nothing needs to be regretted ever. It happened because we had to learn that lesson. And uh, again, ultimately, life loves us. And so we have to just roll with the blows sometimes and rest when we can in, in the quiet downtimes. But uh, it, it's a journey. Yeah, I love it. And uh, as you were speaking, I got the strongest hit that someone out there needed to hear those exact words, probably multiple people. But there is one person out there that when you said it was like, that's me. So 
you know, you mentioned Vipassana and I, I had a dear friend for many years who that was her jam and she would go on retreats for like, you know, weeks at a time in silence and just sit in meditation, which this person in this body speaking right now will probably never, ever do. But it worked for her. And I think a big piece of it for her, you know, it was trauma work is the way that, you know, she described it and experienced it and really, really like, you know, sitting with the tiger in the room <laughs> and just staring it down. Um, I don't always know if that's necessary, but I would just love to hear your experience around that kind of approach. And also segueing into, because this is one for my guides, I'm getting a lot of different messaging than I did earlier in my life and a lot of different messaging than a lot of my guests and fellow spiritual teachers get. So I'm kind of curious about that too. And it's around feeling your feelings and what that really means. Mm. So I'm going to hand that package over to you. I hope the question made sense and we'll see what you do with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. It's, it's certainly most people I think are not uh, of the hardcore type where they just want to sit with the tiger in the room and and just stew in those, you know, let whatever comes up, come up. Ultimately, it's going to happen to all of us, but most probably in a more a gradual way. I talk about the three roads in my book. And one, the long road is to be in continuous resistance to all things. And that's just a very hard road to travel. Right. Uh, the middle road is one where we manifest situations from our inner lack. So we seek to be complete or happy or whatever we want to achieve. And then, of course, when we create that reality, it's always different than we expected. And, and so to make peace with that, it deepens us. It requires a form of surrender and trust and so forth, because to be in resistance is very hard. So that middle path is, for most people, that's the road to travel. And then what I call the no road is to really sit you know, with the tiger in the room and sit with it all and, and just let it surface. And, you know, for different areas of life, it's going to be a combination of, of all those three roads for all of us. Right. Um, so whatever our, our karmic makeup is. But I would say the important thing, again, is to listen to what feels right. If something feels too extreme, don't do it. It doesn't matter what others say. You have to feel called to it. Do you ever defeat the tiger? Because in my mind, the tiger is always going to be there. And sometimes we have the goal of I got to get out there and, you know, beat that tiger. I sometimes think we make it harder than we need to. Yes, that's a great question. I don't think um, you want to get into a place where you set an outcome. Yeah. It's really we're talking about returning to the state of being and flowing and uh, responding to things. And I think that's really the second part of your question is understanding. It took me a long time to get that, say a, a situation happened and it created a feeling in me, some emotion. I didn't realize that most of that emotion was my reaction to the feeling. So there's the onset of an emotion and then our reaction to it. If it's a pleasant emotion, we we cling to it. Ooh, I want more of that. If it's an unpleasant one, we like push it away immediately, you know, resist it. But the waveform of true feelings is very kind of small. It's it's very manageable. And it, it was my reaction to that. I don't know I want it to be different or, you know, now trying to steer and control to want more of it. That was really what the big roller coaster yeah. Uh, of life came from. So to feel your feelings is scary for a lot of people. I, I understand that because that reaction, it can be traumatic. It can be, uh, you know, very uh, difficult. Uh, but learning that it's the reaction to the feeling versus the feeling itself is is the key. So that made all the difference in my life. Yeah. That's ginormous. And the image that I get 
is you're sitting in the room with the tiger. And when you just let the tiger be there, when you just let the tiger be there and you're just like, yep, hi, tiger, you know, and then you're also mindful with your reaction to the tiger because once in a while that tiger just makes a little growl and you're like, ah, and then you just sit with that. Eventually, you know, you and the tiger just become friends and, you know, that's it. That's the end of the day. And every once in a while you might step on the tiger's toe and it might growl a little bit, but you start to learn like, it's okay. I'm, I'm okay. You can be here, my friend. Yes, indeed. Everything becomes lighter. Uh, you know, that reactivity is a big weight. It's a, it's just a load that we carry around through every single day, all the little things of every day that we react to. And and to let go of that and just see things as they are. If somebody cuts us off in traffic, we you know swerve around them and keep going and not linger. And to not linger automatically, our frequency lifts, uh, life becomes easy. And right. like you said earlier, there's there's a fun in suddenly just kind of like, you know, moving through life as it happens and you kind of become part of it. Right. And the not lingering is not lingering mentally, not telling yourself a story about it, not saying it shouldn't have happened. Like, I think that the emotional piece, which I know Eckhart, your teacher, our mutual teacher (laughs) would say, and I love this, is your body's reaction to your thoughts. The emotional part sometimes just needs some tending. That's what I always understand. It just needs some tending and not, you don't keep feeding the story that fed the emotion, but you sit with the emotion and you're like, yeah, that was scary. I didn't like that. That brought some stuff up. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. When I work with uh, you know groups and especially in individual sessions, that's really what it's about: is to be able to see the energy where it sits inside of us. You know, an issue is represented by and and to give it space, observe it, look at it. Does it have a name, a color, a texture? Can you look around the sides and and really just by familiarizing yourself with that feeling. Um, you're no longer reacting to it. You're observing it. And that then leads to release and healing. And we can heal ourselves, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I believe we only heal ourselves. Yeah. All right. So I ask everybody on the show, how do you experience your intuition? Mm. I know there's different ways one can experience that intuition and also different timing on the intuition. Uh, So for some people, they have to kind of lean into something, go down that path a bit before it speaks up others it's just an instant knowing and anything beyond that is is actually complicating it again the way i experience it is probably in the earlier spectrum so it hits me pretty quickly i do like to give a situation a little more time to unfold till i i really feel it so yeah that's how i experience it i love that all right so what else haven't we covered yet that's coming through to share before I give you that opportunity to also tell people what you do and how to find you? Well, it's really embracing, you know, our existence in, in such a deep way that we're here to grow and learn and become full and, and complete. And there are experiences in this dimension that we can't have and when we're just in vapor form, right? So nothing needs to be rejected. Nothing needs to be made bad. Experience everything fully. There's lessons in all of it and keep growing, right? Every moment brings with it an, an opportunity of greater insight and, and knowing oneself better. And, and so you realize yourself through this amazing journey of who you're meant to be. It's really an incredible adventure that we're on and an experiment that we're part of. <laughs> Amen. That's beautiful. And it really is. It really is amazing. I think every moment is amazing, even when I forget. <laughs> even when I forget it's amazing it's still amazing and you know you forget less and less and less and remember more and that's when it gets really really juicy Mm -hmm. 
All right. So uh, if people want to find you, work with you, follow you, tell them how to do that. Yes, you can find me online, all social handles, Chris Sirock. Also, my website, Sirock.com. Can you spell that? Yeah. C as in Charlie, I-R-A-K. Okay, beautiful. And you can get my book on uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, audiobook as well. I narrated it myself. So if you want to hear it in my voice or, or even read along, so you can find that on Audible. And the book is called? Be You, The Journey of Self-Realization. I love it. Beautiful. All right. I know I asked for parting words before, and now I'm going to ask for one more time because I can't help it. Anything, anything we missed anywhere? Well, ultimately, it's important, I think, to get out of this right or wrong mindset, right? Nothing is right or wrong. Everything's happening as it should. It's a reflection. The happening is a reflection of who we are, and that is our connection to uh, the next moment of who we are and who we can become and who we're meant to be. So um, really, really see the magic and the guidance that is all around us. I love that. I may play that a few times for myself. That is just beautiful. Chris, this has been fun. I'm so glad we got to connect. Thank you. And this is that place where I thank all of you guys for listening because I get to do the funnest thing ever. And I'm grateful for you. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode as much as I did. If you like the show, Give us a, a lovely five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps get the word out there and enjoy the rest of your day and namaste. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you found joy, strength, inspiration, and clarity from today's episode. If you'd like to learn more and connect with an amazing group of like-minded souls, please join us over on Facebook in the Intuitive Connection Community Facebook group, where we explore these topics in deeper detail, have additional live teachings, and host Facebook Lives with our amazing guests. I hope to see you there. And of course, if you want to learn more about me or the work that I do, please check out my webpage, victoriashawintuitive.com. Thank you so much again and namaste. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.